Hello, welcome to the D&D Roundtable, presented by The Tome Show. I'm your host, James Intercastle. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. We'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, noblenight.com. It's where out of print is available again. They have D&D and other tabletop RPGs. Any edition, any product. With Noble Knight, you can even sell them your old gaming products that you aren't using anymore. Let's hear a quick word from them. Noble Knight is an online game store. D&D, they got that more. And if you think out-of-print games are nice, shop Noble Knight, cause they've got the best price. And if you got gaming products to sell, then Noble Knight will buy them as well. So go to the place where gaming's the bomb, and head over to NobleKnight.com. And don't forget to tell them the Tome Show sent ya! Today, we're talking about the upcoming Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide and the Unearthed Arcana Modern Magic article. Let's meet the panel and kick things off with our get-to-know-you question. Where on the Sword Coast do you want to live? Rudy Basso, let's start with you. On a boat hunting pirates off the Sword Coast. That is like the one thing that I love to do whenever we play in Forgotten Realms. So much so that in our last campaign there, I disregarded the main quest and we left to go hunt pirates. <laughs> so that is my only goal. Is that because um, one of the first Drizzt books you read had Drizzt on a boat fighting pirates? The, the, maybe. The, <laughs> the boat-to-boat combat is very complex and interesting to me. So, Jelostowski, where on the Sword Coast would you want to live? I would want to live in Candlekeep, uh, which is a, a giant uh, fortress library uh, that reminds me of Garth Nix's uh, second abortion book, which was all about this girl growing up in a library that had like restricted section where there was all this crazy magic going on and stuff. And I just I like the idea of uh, playing scholar characters and trying to find an internet when there is no internet. So I think that's what libraries are. Uh, so I think that's probably where I would end up. Nice, nice. That's a great response. Candle Keep, pretty awesome. Vegas Lancaster, also here with us tonight. Vegas, where on the Sword Coast would you want to live? Uh, well, I'll tell you, it's a good thing Wizards of the Coast is releasing Sword Coast Legends and this Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide pretty soon, because despite my long love of D&D, I don't know that much about it. <laughs> is that where Waterdeep is? Waterdeep yes. is there. All right, I would live in the Waterdeep Hotel, and I would spy on my political rivals by sneaking through their offices and leaving scrying devices, also known as scryer tapping. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Waterdeep gate. <laughs> uh, we have a brand new panelist with us. Chris Bridges is here. Chris where on the Sword Coast would you want to live? And then uh, give the people a little bit uh, of information about your background. How long have you been playing D&D? I would love to live at Waterdeep just because the town has always fascinated me. 
Candle Keep's pretty cool, but Waterdeep's better. Um, oh. I've been playing D&D since I was eight years old, about 32 years, and just recently started being a DM. Nice. Nice. Excellent. And Chris, uh, you found me on Twitter. We had a great exchange. I thought your story was fascinating. Here you are on the round table. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, and thank you for siding with Vegas, because uh, now I'll get to hear him gloat. Uh, thank that. you for having me. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Chris, we're the best. <laughs> yep. Uh, James, before we get into it, can I congratulate you and Rudy on your excellent Gen Con coverage with the Tome Show this weekend? Uh, uh, I was sitting at home jealously listening to you guys. <laughs> uh, thanks. Yeah, I mean, we covered uh, uh, Jeremy Crawford, and we had uh, some of our own roundtable chats. We also had an interview with Kenneth Height, who designed Knight's Black Agents, among many other uh, RPGs. Such a good game. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. on the Ken and Robin Talk About Stuff podcast, and uh, he's he does Ken Writes About Stuff. Both of those won Ennies when we were there at Gen Con, so that's going to come out on Gamer to Gamer, our interview with him as well. But uh, a lot of that stuff that you heard was Jeff, Jeff Greiner going. Yeah, Jeff Greiner. <laughs> yeah, it was cool because Rudy and I didn't have to go to those panels, so we got to play more games, which was nice. So thanks, Jeff. The Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide partially a campaign guide for this area of the Forgotten Realms, as well as a splat book that has some new options. It seems like a lot of these options are very story-based, very much for the Sword Coast, but they could be used in other places. Uh, you know, there's that swashbuckler option that we saw in Unearthed Arcana is going to be released here. Um, the Purple Dragon Knight build is going to be available uh, it sounds like there's going to be some tidbits that are compatible with Rage of Demons. Uh, there's going to be information about the Spell Plague and the Sundering. And there's going to be maps. And I would guess you're probably going to see some new feats, maybe some new races, that kind of thing. I was excited to see that we're going to get something that they might actually convince players and not just DMs to buy. You know, it, it sort of made sense from a business standpoint. Uh, I'm hopeful that this is going to include a lot of cool options uh, and not be, you know, so skimpy on the, the crunch. I'm hoping that there's a, a lot of crunch in there so that people who aren't playing in Forgotten Realms still get a benefit from buying this book. Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, yay or nay, hopes and fears. Let's start with you, Rudy Basso. Yeah, it's great that, you know, they've been saying that the multiverse is the official setting, but, you know, they've been using <laughs> Forgotten Realms. It's nice that there's going to be a book that's like, here's the canon. Here's where Forgotten Realms is now as a, a continent, as a as a as an area that you can use. The books come out. There's always new stuff in the books, but the books don't come out on a regular. Like, there's a big gap between book releases. So uh, it's good in that regard. I do hope that it has a lot of information for players, a lot more classes and backgrounds and stuff, because while that setting stuff is really interesting, that's not what I as a player am particularly uh, attracted to. So seeing that they're going to be like, yeah, there's going to be this purple dragon thing and there's going to be swashbuckler. I hope there's a lot more of that uh, because that's more what I'm interested in. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I'd love to see some more of that, especially since we're playing homebrew stuff. Let's turn to uh, Joe Lestowski, who does a lot with the Adventurers League. So, Joe, you are playing in Forgotten Realms a fair amount. Are you uh, excited to see this book? I'm interested to get your take on it. What are your hopes and fears? Well, um, my hopes are 
even if there isn't a lot of crunch, that it will be like the fourth edition Underdark book, which was one of the best setting books I've ever read. Um, so my, my hope is that is that the content that we get will just have enough really interesting places that no matter where you want to go, no matter where you want to say your character is from, you'll have some kind of cool, interesting story uh, related to that so that you can then build off of that and either as a DM or as a player really feel like you're connected to the world. My fears uh, start with the release date, which is <laughs> uh, two months after we start D&D Encounters. Uh, in the setting that's going to use the stuff that's in this book. Um, and so that that makes me a little wary, and I hope that there'll be, you know, maybe a, a PDF or a release of something with, with the different, uh, you know, class options or other things that are going to be in here. I think some of them might be in an appendix in the uh, the adventure that they're going to release, the Rage of Demons adventure uh, as well. But I just, I, I, I worry about, I don't, I don't want to say I worry, but my players get really nervous when they don't have the options that they've heard about. And they, they keep asking me, expecting me to know more than they do. And I really don't. So they're like, oh, what's the Purple Dragon Knight? What's, is that going to be a paladin? Is that going to be a fighter class? How's that going to work? And I said, I don't know. I really don't know. So my my hope, uh, my, my fear is that it won't come out soon enough and my players will keep complaining at me about it. Uh, but my, my hope is that when it does come out, it will be... Uh, something that really adds to the game from a storytelling standpoint, much like the Underdark book did in uh, fourth edition. Yeah. And it is funny. They do make that a big deal. Like, Oh, it's going to have stuff for rage of demons with it, but out of the abyss will already have been out for a while by the time you're able to get your hands on this. And it's also, this is being made. We should mention, you know, uh, in a partnership with green Ronin, who is also writing the out of abyss line. They are also, uh, you know, writing this book for, Wizards of the Coast. So it's kind of interesting to see, like, is this supposed to be like that PDF we got for Elemental Evil? Like, are we not going to get a PDF? And if so, then how can you make Adventurers League if Encounters and Expeditions have already started? You know, there's there's that yeah. whole thing to think about, certainly. The other thing that makes me slightly wary is the language. And this may just be their, their public relations people or their ad copywriters. But anytime uh, a, a press release for a product tells me that players will love such and such, it, it, it feels like they're, they're already deciding ahead of time that, that uh, not, not like there's going to be some great options. It's like you will love the storytelling possibilities of playing a noble in Waterdeep. <laughs> you know, and it's like, like this is the thing you will love. That's your job as a consumer. <laughs> and, and and that that just makes me wary because it, it makes me worry that they're like then pinning all their hopes on the, these couple of uh, class variants and then the rest of the book might not be as great. But I, I you know I don't I don't want to be I don't want to be a negative Nancy here. I, I want to uh, give it you know give it give it the chance that it deserves and see what it is when it comes out. <laughs> yeah, as a guy who writes marketing copy for a living, I wouldn't get too hung up on that. Uh, it's probably just someone who doesn't necessarily even understand the product that much uh, writing something about it. So, Chris, I wanted to talk to you because you run a shop, right? Uh, yeah. And you have people who show up there to play D&D. Are you excited about the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide? I am totally stoked. I cannot wait for it to come out. Have already told my husband we're going to buy it no matter what. <laughs> nice, nice. And what are you excited about for 
Well, first of all, I kind of skipped the whole fourth edition thing because I thought it was stupid. Um, so oh. I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> the whole system? That, the whole thing. I read it, skipped I read it and said, uh-uh, not in my house. So... <laughs> Oh, like, you're, you're not alone in the world. We played years of Fortnite, but you are not alone, certainly. Yeah, and I haven't read the, been up on the newest book, so I really don't know. And I'm trying to introduce new players to an area that I don't know what they've done changing it. So I can't wait to read and try to figure out what's changed and what's the same. For people who played 4th edition and played Forgotten Realms and organized play... They still don't know what's going on because they advanced the timeline <laughs> again. You know, they advanced the timeline a hundred years into fourth, and then from fourth, they've advanced, I guess, like another several uh, decades. And so, no one seems quite sure what's going on and what effect did the Sundering have and that kind of thing. So, uh, I think for that reason, a lot of people are eager to get hands on the book because we may actually get an idea of what the heck is going on other than in the small areas that were mapped by Tyranny of Dragons and uh, the Elemental Evil stuff. So, you know, I'm excited. Uh, and I'm also excited that you're here with 4th Edition's biggest fan, Joe Laskowski. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Vegas, Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, yay or nay? Uh, I think it sounds cool. I like what... Um... Uh, you were saying earlier you think it's cool that they're releasing a thing for players to buy instead of something for DMs to buy. And uh, what I really like about the idea, who knows what the execution will be. Um, I, I like the idea of, as a player, getting a book that I can read that'll tell me all kinds of lore about the world that the character I'm playing is in. I really like knowing about the world that my character is inhabiting and his motivations because of that world and this and that. But if you read a campaign guide that's published uh, for Dungeon Masters to buy, you're also getting all the secrets and spoilers that your PC shouldn't know. Um, so I really like the idea of getting a ton of lore that I should be knowing rather than having to ask you constantly about what the economics and politics of the world are yeah and i think that's uh, a great way to do uh you know an adventurer's guide like hey this is meant for the players to read and i'm sure dms everywhere are going to buy it too to get the options but it'll be cool uh the other thing as someone who works for a gaming store uh i really appreciate having a product that we can sell to more than just dms uh because that means you know, helps the gaming store stay in business by having products to sell. So uh, there haven't been a ton of 5th edition products coming out in the sort of steady stream that we saw with 4th edition yet. And so it, it makes me happy that this is a product we can market to multiple audiences. Uh, this isn't uh, something that's going to happen in real life. It's more me spitballing about something <laughs> I thought would be cool. Uh, but with them letting green ronin do a lot of the work on uh sword coast adventurer's guide i was thinking since wizards of the coast slimmed their staff down and they're not really supporting uh, all the other universes in the multiverse right now how cool would it be if they gave campaign settings to tons of different independent publishers and said hey follow these design and editorial guidelines and besides that 
go nuts and put your own spin on it and put out a cool product. And then we had all these different campaign settings that had the the innovations and influences from different independent publishers. Oh, wow. Or independent podcasts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that would be super cool. I think, uh, and Rudy can attest to some of this at, uh, that we heard at Gen Con, the OGL uh, that they are planning on announcing should be coming soon. Uh, or at least they believe it is coming yeah, soon. Yeah, that's, that's the good. You got to put that asterisk in there. <laughs> Very nice. Finally. Yeah, yeah. So I think you will see a lot of third-party settings and stuff. And then the other thing is, uh, the other side of that coin is, when Wizards hires a studio like, uh, you know, Green Ronin or Cobalt, who did Tyranny of Dragons, or Sasquatch, who did the Elemental Evil stuff, they work super close with them. Yeah, uh, it's it's more of a partnership than an outsourcing. Yeah, that's the way Crawford said it to us. Yeah, so they're doing they're they're kind of hiring those studios to do like the day to day grunt work, writing and uh, design of stuff, and then they're going through everything and sending tons of notes back to them, like on everything from like layout and art to mechanics and that kind of thing. Uh, I just wanted to say that it'll be really nice to have. Uh, the open gaming license so we can start to get third-party products that can actually mention dungeon and dragons uh necromancer games went ahead and put out some really great stuff uh for fifth edition but in all of their books they have to say compatible with the fifth edition of that very popular role-playing game that everybody <laughs> knows about and and they can't actually officially call it a dnd product but they've got people like skip williams writing for them so everybody you know i mean they're good adventures and they're compatible with fifth edition, but it'll be nice to just finally have that, uh, that option available to, to be like, okay, this is actually a D and D product. Well, let's move on to our second topic. Modern magic. The unearthed arcana article for the month of August has dropped. It's all about Dan Helmick's D 20 modern hack of fifth edition D and D. And this time we are talking about how magic works in this game. Last time we saw some modern armor and talked about how modern weapons and the proficiencies would work. This time we've seen a new domain for clerics, the city domain. We've seen the warlock pact uh, with the otherworldly patron, the ghost in the machine. And uh, we saw the technomancy arcane tradition for wizards. Um, as you can tell, this is all sort of based on modern technology and electronics. There's cantrips like on-off, which allow you to turn, <laughs> uh, you know, an electrically powered device on and off, depending on how close you are to it. Uh, and uh, a whole list of new spells at the end here that uh, people can use. So I am down with this. It seems really fun. Uh, it seems cool. There's definitely some abilities that these various subclasses if you will get that seem fun uh it seems like in the tradition of d20 modern a lot of these things can be used for kind of heist type missions you know it's not necessarily like hacking your way through a dungeon and kicking in the door it's more uh you know you gotta infiltrate and you gotta use some spy work and that kind of thing which you know makes a modern campaign have more of that spy movie mission impossible kind of feel I was very down with most of this when I saw it. We're going to break it down subclass by subclass. We're going to start with the Cleric's City Domain. And I want to start with you, Joe Lestowski. Joe, what did you think of the City Domain for the Cleric? I 
really liked a lot of this article. Uh, and the city domain, it, it felt, I've seen in previous editions when they tried to do the Urban Ranger, uh, this felt like it, it succeeded where Urban Rangers have maybe not succeeded as well. And I like the idea of the city being almost a deity unto itself or, or having its own divine presence. Um, a lot of this article actually reminded me of old second edition White Wolf uh, products, uh, specifically Mage, where where there were there were uh, spiritual essences of things that mattered to people, like a city. So the spirit of Boston would have its own essence that you could interact with, and and that's what I felt with this cleric domain. It really it really spoke to those college memories of mine uh, from playing uh, old White Wolf stuff. Uh, Chris, I'm interested to hear what you thought of the Cleric's City Domain. I thought it was an interesting take on it. Um, I don't usually play a lot of modern, mm-hmm. so but I, it almost made me want to play. It, I like it more than any other modern that I've really read. It just struck me as something that might be fun. I like the way they invoke the city. I really did. Instead of doing a god or trying to make an urban god... Right, right, yeah. So instead of it being like uh, a modern religion, such as like Catholicism, or yeah, or or create their own urban god or something like that, you actually get your magic from the heart of the city, which is really cool. Uh, I think that's a great way to do it. How about you, Vegas? What did you think of city magic for the cleric? Man, I thought this whole PDF document was really, really cool. Um... Uh, the city cleric is a pretty cool domain. Um, I here's what I like about it uh, in the domain spells section. Uh, he gets spells like protection from bullets and spells to shut down electronic devices. Um, because if you're playing D and D in the modern setting, those are really the things that level the playing field and make mythic heroes. Uh, pretty vulnerable to regular folks is guns <laughs> and technology. So uh, I guess this cleric, is, the point of it is to be able to defend you against those things. Uh, Rudy, what did you think of this? I know you and I talked a little bit before the podcast about how cool you thought the city domain cleric was. Yeah, this is my favorite class of the three listed. Uh, I think there's so many great opportunities for flavor too. Like based on what city you kind of like are headquartered out of, that could determine your character's background and attitude. If they're from the Northeast, maybe they're not not as polite as someone from the Midwest or from the South. <laughs> uh, I, and I agree that it's it's great that. Um, it's not based on modern religion because it would be weird if someone was getting their divine powers from Judaism or yeah, Catholicism or whatever. So right, this is a true. good way to get around that issue and it still make it really unique and new and cool. Uh, I think express transport transit is maybe a little silly <laughs> where you can teleport between like real stops. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the things I was I, I wanted to see just as a flavor text is instead of praying, I wanted you to have to like attend ball games for your local team, and, like, <laughs> you know, like even 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 if you've got, you know, a losing team or whatever, you've got to go through and sit through the game and watch it. And then and then, you know, the instead of religions fueling wars, it would be, you know, Red Sox and Yankees, you know, and, and so you go to war against the Yankee uh, church because <laughs> That's great. That's a great idea. Yeah. Or you like listen to get your spells each day. You have to like listen to the local talk radio 
uh, yes, yes. Well, you or, or go to the local coffee shop or something like that. Yeah, that would be amazing. I like that a lot. Let's talk a little bit about the Warlock Pack, the new otherworldly patron, Ghost in the Machine. You've made a bargain for power granted by an entity that you believe to be completely digital. Whether it is rogue AI or the spirit of a deceased hacker, the ghost in the machine is capable of feats that defy explanation. Uh, I really liked this one as well. Um, you know, it's it's got some things that are very similar to the uh, city domain cleric. Uh, for instance, the express transit ability. Uh, they have something called wire walk uh, for the warlock pack, which allows you to walk in wires. Uh, and teleport around. Uh, it's not as far-reaching as the other one, but it's still, you know, it's kind of along the same idea, which I thought was really, really cool. Uh, so, but let me know, what did you guys think about the otherworldly patron ghost in the machine? Chris, let's start with you. I think it's kind of neat in that creepy AI goes nuts thing, but <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea of the information surge where you can make it a operate a computer dormant it mm -hmm. doesn't fit work within 30 feet of you i think that's kind of cool there's a few computers i would love to do that too <laughs> yeah and it's funny that was one of those things that made me feel like oh yeah this is totally a heist you know like it made me want to do a, a magical modern heist uh because of that information search that you could go in and overload someone's computer and then they think they're having a technical problem and you know, you come in disguised as the IT guy and fix everything. Like, it's just, oh, sounds like it would be so much fun. I'm very, <laughs> very into this. Uh, Vegas, what about you, bud? What did you think of the ghost in the machine? Uh, this this was actually my favorite class in the document. I thought it was a really cool flavor. A warlock who gets his power from making a pact with a weird artificial intelligence or something. So cool. <laughs> and he gets a, a techno virus ability uh, later on where he can infect uh, organic matter and humanoids with a technological virus like the dystopian future in the X-Men. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, uh, I, I think this was like the point in the document where I was really sold on this guy's vision um, because the idea of playing Dungeons and Dragons in a modern era always seemed weird to me like i feel like if you're gonna do that maybe D, &D isn't the right system for it sure. but just uh this really sparked my imagination which is what you want from content like this yeah yeah i think he's doing a great job and i wouldn't be so i mean obviously if we're seeing this stuff come out from him people had a huge response to his first article which i don't even think was in unearthed arcana it was actually one of their behind the DM screen yeah. things that they did. Um, and so this is a different column, which makes me think like, oh, maybe they're, that column got such good buzz and everything that they're going to explore this, which I think is, is totally cool. Uh, Rudy Basso, Ghost in the Machine, what'd you think? I like it. I think there's a lot of awesome potential for both the, the player and the DM to kind of come up with what this this program that the person makes the pact with it's a very open-ended whereas other warlocks it's like you're you know that this god that god this is really open it could be something ridiculous something cool i i think that 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 kind of flavor is is really really neat 
Uh, and I've played a games where my character can jump between like wires and stuff, and that's always really, really fun to do. Uh, I, I don't know. There's something very 80s about that, too. Yeah, that's a, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Joe Lestowski, Ghost in the Machine. Thoughts? I love it. I love it. And it's funny you mentioned the 80s because the late 80s, early 90s, this is the game I wanted to be playing. Is this article that I read right here about this class. Uh, it, it's it's what Shadowrun and Cyberpunk should have been. Um, <laughs> it, it, it really, it, it's it's got enough of a, a familiarity to D and D like instead of, you know, teleporting between trees as a, as a ranger or a druid, you're teleporting between sockets. You know, it, it felt, I, I, I hate to use the buzzword, but it felt iconically, it felt iconic enough to D and D, but also unique enough to this, to this world. And it made me want to, you know, put on rollerblades and, and, and punk out my hair and, and ride around and, and hack the planet. I, I also I really like the idea that you can encrypt your mind. Uh, that was just that's just awesome as a as a somebody who does like cryptography on the side sort of like that's just a neat idea. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's and it's a cool idea that the techno virus that you can give cable in the future is a really great idea. <laughs> uh, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of all of this, uh, and I am also a huge fan of the technomancy arcane tradition for the wizard uh, i thought this was a, a a cool little thing it's kind of the last subclass build that there is here in the article vegas what did you think yeah it's another cool thing that just gets your imagination going about what D could be like in the modern era this is a wizard who can cast spells through the internet <laughs> doesn't have to be present cast spells and has the effects come out of networked devices <laughs> that's really cool <laughs> uh i am going to uh, throw it to rudy basso rudy i'd love to get your overall opinion but i know that you also have feelings about that specific uh casting spells through the internet ability that vegas yeah. just mentioned I'm not so sure about that. I think it's too powerful. I mean, <laughs> call okay. You know, your mission is to kill the CEO of an evil corporation. Call his phone. Cast a fireball through his phone. Mission over. Like, <laughs> I think between that and the program spell is very powerful too. You know, this is a game that emphasizes hacking, and it seems like such an easy thing to do to be like, all right, I hack his webcam. I can see him through his camera on his computer. I shoot him with power word kill i uh i think that it's going to put dms in unfortunately an opportunity where they have to shut things like that down a lot and that's going to make people feeling tech it's going to make those technomancers out there feel like they're constantly being denied which is not necessarily fun yeah my response to that would be that unearthed arcana is a place for cool ideas oh, no that are... i i absolutely agree and i think this is an excellent idea i just think from a mechanics perspective these particular spells need need some some modification little balancing yeah exactly. you're probably right about that exactly. yeah and maybe it's you know maybe it's putting a cap on the level of the spell that you can cast through there i mean Sorry. you don't get that ability until uh until 10th level so you know maybe at that point you're fighting ceos who are so high up that they <laughs> spend the night in underground bunkers uh, where your your computer could have like an arcane firewall <laughs> oh yeah right but i think that's rudy's point right is that we keep coming up with ways to block the ability uh which means sure why even get it at all what did you think joe of the technomancer well 
when I saw Technomancer, again, my mind went back to White Wolf uh, back in the 90s. Uh, the, uh, the mage setting, the sort of bad guys were called the Technocracy. And uh, magic worked in that world by exerting your will on it. And uh, reality would smack you upside the head if enough people who didn't believe you could do what you're doing saw what you were doing. So you had to find ways to make it coincidental. And the technocracy used technology for their magic. So instead of throwing a fireball at you, they would use a flamethrower. And it was still magic happening through their device. Uh, but uh, people believed it because they had a device doing it. And their idea was to get everyone to believe in technology, which would make magic more prevalent. So when I, when I saw this, and it wasn't that, I was initially disappointed. Uh, <laughs> because I really, I really the, the technocracy book that they released towards the end of the run of, of Mage the Ascension was really fantastic and uh, made me want to play a technocrat. And then suddenly I read this, and I was like, that's not what it is at all. That's not that at all. But it's just the name, so I've got to get over that. That's a personal thing. <laughs> um, I, I do agree that it could be pretty powerful. Uh, I also agree that um, I, I feel like using using terms like networked electronic devices is so vague and especially when you start getting like you know the, the internet of things and smart to- toasters and refrigerators and things if you can suddenly cast through any of that uh you're really really powerful true uh and so i i agree that uh that might need some uh some toning down in a final version uh but <laughs> overall uh i mean i like the idea of a wizard class that is focused on technological magic um I wish there was a little bit more about uh, how their flavor might look different. You know, instead of using a wand, you've got a, a, a blackberry, or instead, you know, so, something like just just to give it more of a feel of the I'm I'm using technology to invoke my magic. I like that. I like that. I also like the idea that your data plan is more expensive based on the number of high-level spells you've <laughs> cast through the internet. Chris, what did you think of the Technomancer? I thought it was kind of neat that your spell book could be changed into, like, a phone or a tablet. I thought that was an interesting take. Yeah, yeah, that was one of my favorite things, which totally makes sense, because why would you carry around a weird ancient tome in the age of the iPad? Yeah, and I, I like how the on, going online, too, that's pretty cool. It's strong, but it's still pretty cool. We're, we're probably going to see a survey about this, I would imagine, some point in the near future. Uh, I think the last thing I want to talk about is uh, the spells. Um, you know, there's some rules in here for handling ability checks using hacking tools and that kind of thing. Uh, but essentially, you know, it's it's the same way that other ability checks work in D&D. Uh, and the, but the spells are so cool. Uh, you know, and again, they have a lot to do with technology, invisibility to cameras, protection from ballistics, uh, on-off we talked about, arcane hacking, digital phantom, find vehicle, which is a spell I really need. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, especially whenever I'm in, like, a, an outlet mall, you know what I'm talking about, guys? <laughs> oh, yeah. I never remember where you parked. Um, so, uh, but, but yeah, I thought these spells were so cool and original. Uh, I just want to hear from you guys. Did you like these spells? Let's start with you, Mr. Basso. Yeah, I think they're great. I, I think it's hard to come up with something creative and neat that, you know, kind of involves modern technology. So I really have to commend the author, whose name, of course, is Daniel Helmick, 
for coming up with some really interesting, really neat stuff. And I do think that he did a great job balancing them level-wise as well. Uh, that commune with the city is fifth level, and it, it looks like a fifth level as well. You can do a lot of neat stuff. So um, they're really neat, and I would love to see them in combination with some of the old classics like Fireball and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, you've already got all your damage-dealing spells you really need. Uh, so it's cool to see that they have these things that are kind of specifically geared towards the technology of the modern world, because that's one of the big differences when you're in the modern world. Uh, Joe, what did you think? In general, I, I agree. I, I liked a lot of the spells. I, I The one, well, the biggest issue I have is that I think Nobot is a dumb name. For the, the con, uh, I agree uh, with you, <laughs> and, and it it might just be that I'm still sore over the recent loss of Hitchbot, uh, the the beheading and destruction of the hitchhiking robot that was going around the world uh, in Philadelphia. Um, okay, okay, that could have happened in any city, <laughs> uh, 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 but it was Philadelphia that it happened in. Hey, so, hey, uh, hey. Philadelphia's a great city. Philadelphia also started the Kickstarter to bring back Hitchbot. Just saying. Okay. Okay. Well, they wouldn't have had to if they had. Uh... Anyway, um, but beyond beyond the name of the Nobot, uh, the only other thing I wanted to see was some sort of a spell that did psychic damage based on like a meme that you could send to people via the internet, or the, you know, those sort of things where like it's such a bad joke or it's such a goofy thing that like it actually hurts your head to read it. I wanted a psychic damage spell like that. So you wanted a cyberbullying spell? Is that the the idea? Uh, more more of a more of a, a internet know, explosive a runes. Yeah, a lolcats kind of, or a, or a like you know, instead of you know control emotions, something that gives you the feels, or that you know, what all the internet kids are saying these days, you know. Uh, yes, I like the idea of internet explosive runes or glyphs of warding uh, in a meme. That's hilarious. Uh, Chris, what did you think of these spells? I thought they were really interesting. Um, one of my favorite was probably the arcane hacking and fine vehicle because I'm notorious for losing my car. <laughs> uh, and Vegas Lancaster, what did you think of these spells? Uh, I think they were cool. I like I've said, or we've all kind of said, we all really like uh, this guy's vision, and that's really cool. Uh, this whole document was about magic in a modern setting. I'm really curious what you would do with like fighters in a world that has assault rifles and rocket launchers and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I guess you have a lot of high-dex fighters, would be my guess. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of Batman. Yeah, yeah, a lot of Batman. (laughs) Well, one of the interesting things is that I've always felt like one of the reasons firearms don't appear as much in the core D&D world is because if you look at kind of the history of combat, that's a major turning point when firearms exist because suddenly you can have fairly unskilled people doing absolutely lethal damage at a long range. And then that removes, you know, all you have to do is, is watch uh, The Last Samurai to see what guns versus guys with swords will do. Uh, and so I, I think I, I'd be also really curious to see how you translate a fighter uh, to, a, to a system where, where guns are that prevalent. Yeah, I was thinking about that a lot today when I was thinking about this article. Um, I think the reason I never really think about D&D Modern is because when you're playing a D&D character, you're kind of playing this mythic hero who's just a lot tougher than the people around him. But like you said, when guns are involved, it doesn't matter how tough you are. And that's why 
like modern fantasy is really all superheroes, people who are way, way, way above a normal average person. Yeah, well, I think it'll be interesting to see because he does in the first article that he did for this. And we'll link everything, of course, as we always do over in the show notes for this episode over at thetomeshow.com. In the first uh, article in this series, he talks about who he would give sidearm proficiency to and longarm proficiency to, which classes and that kind of thing. Uh, And you can even see that here in some of these builds he's granting extra proficiencies. Um, So I think... Uh, you know, based on when I played D20 Modern, you did have a lot of characters, even strength-based characters, most of the time were running around using guns. Uh, so I think your fighters, you know, instead of a lot of uh, hack and slash fighters, you probably have a lot of quote-unquote archery builds uh, for fighters in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would be interesting for things like the Barbarian... Uh, to see how that would go, right? Um, because barbarians kind of are all about melee. They don't really have a ranged build that you can get into. Yeah, I'd love to see how monster races and dragons would fit into his world. Oh, wow. Didn't oh, think yeah. about that. Yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> yeah, we need more lore. I think like I, I could just sit and read about this world for a while, too. I'd love to see that. So I, I hope they have a sleeper hit on their hands with uh, with I, these ideas <laughs> i wonder i don't know i think like do you think they would ever commit like to a full book with this kind of stuff it'd be such a huge undertaking and they're so focused on the fantasy stuff and there's so many other settings that people are clamoring for i think i don't know maybe a third party they might have yeah some- that's what i think too i think if the ogl comes out they might be like Take a couple people and go make this, and this will be one of the first things that we kind of sponsor. Uh, what I was thinking is, and and you know, you know, my love hate relationship with druids uh, in general in fifth edition. Uh, <laughs> I I was curious how that would translate to the modern. Like instead of turning into animals, what else would you turn into? Like would they be different personas online? And as I was thinking of other modern fantasy and just sort of modern role-playing things, uh, especially with this hacker feel, um, the idea of having an online persona or, or jacking into the net, as they used to talk about, uh, you know, would, would, there, would there be a sort of astral projection slash net version of yourself that you could do? And how would that translate into this? What, what, how would that work? Uh, I, I just, there's a lot of possibilities that haven't been explored yet that I'm, I'm curious about and, and I don't have answers yet, but I want to see someone else come up with those answers and then give them to me. The, the answer to Druid is they would turn into raccoons and pigeons. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys have a question or comment about the show, we want to hear from you. Uh, so let us know what you think in the show notes for this episode of the round table over at the or you can go to facebook.com slash the tome show. Let us know what you think about this Unearthed Arcana article about modern magic, and let us know what you think about the upcoming Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. And we are going to get ready to close out here. I think that's going to do it. So, Rudy Basso, where can people find you? Hey, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Rudy Basso, R-U-D-Y-B-A-S-S-O, and you can listen to my podcast here on the Tome Show Network with Vegas Lancaster. It's called D&D V&G. We talk about D&D video games. Our newest last episode is 
about Al Kadim the Genie's Curse, which oh. maybe yeah, do you know anything about Al Kadim? None of us did, so listen and learn. <laughs> and of course the V of D and D V and G Vegas Lancaster. Nope, that's not okay. Where can people find you? Uh, if you go to VegasLancaster.com, you can find uh, my new podcast, which has nothing to do with Dungeons and Dragons. It's just me talking about the news and making jokes about it. And that's uh, One More Week with Vegas at VegasLancaster.com. Yeah, I love it, and I am subscribed. You should, too. Joe Lestowski, where can people find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Joe Listowski. I also uh, write mostly D&D, but sometimes Doctor Who or other role-playing articles at actsofgeek.com. And uh, on a Monday or Wednesday, if you want to play some D&D, I am at Modern Myths uh, Comics and Games in Northampton, Massachusetts. Nice, nice. So you guys should go check out Joe. His articles on Acts of Geek are great. And Chris Bridges, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at CB underscore web, or you can find me at, you name it, Collectibles, and the Collectibles is spelt with an A. Excellent. Excellent. And that is also the name of your store if people are in the Missouri area and want to find you. Nice. More than welcome to come down. Excellent. Excellent. And you can find me on Twitter at James Intracasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. And you can leave us a comment about the show on thetomeshow.com or facebook.com slash thetomeshow. Also, check out my blog. It's all about Exploration Age, the fifth edition D&D world I'm building over at worldbuilderblog.me. There's tons of free resources for your D&D 5e games over there. We're talking magic items, adventures, monsters, all kinds of good stuff. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening, and thanks to Rudy, Vegas, Joe, and Chris. Special thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup, and thanks to Sam Dillon for getting this podcast out there on the airwaves. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. And hey, if you like the show, please rate the Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to the roundtable.